Today, I will be reading sections from Mark 13. You can follow along on the screen as I read the passage aloud for us. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. You must be on guard. You'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is to you, it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. At the time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive you, if possible, even the elect. So be on guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells them the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or, even, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you. It's good to see you. I um, served here for a bit. And if I knew you, I really miss you. If, if you're new, I don't miss you as much as those who I... About Wednesday, you'll be like, oh, that was funny. Last year, I bought a donut for $100. I was, I was hoping that donut was going to taste like $100. It didn't, but it sent kids to camp, and that's the point. So if you have like these weird expectations, there you go. Um, yeah, I asked Dave to come to my church a few months ago to talk about sex, so he did, and he did a great job, so in turn he said, Dale, come talk about the end times, so here we, here we go. He's like, it's only fair, bro, and then he said he was going to be here. Mark 13, this, thir this chapter is one of the most difficult chapters to understand for a modern reader. It's filled with images and filled with storylines that for people at that time would have understood being students of the Judaic law and the words of the prophets and the words that were coming ahead of time. All through it, Jesus is using these categories, these images, which were very familiar to the people and can be very, very strange for us. And we're tempted to make conclusions and uh, disregard things when they don't seem instantly make sense to us in the moment. And that can be really dangerous. 
a few weeks ago, my wife and I went to New York. So when I say New York, that means something to almost all of you. Then if I mention, somehow I talked my wife into going to Cooperstown. So some of you, you're still like, that doesn't mean nothing. But if you're a baseball fan, you're like, Cooperstown? It's where baseball was believed to be started, and that's where the Hall of Fame for baseball is. So you walk downtown, and it's all these cute stores, which my wife is like, this town is so cute, until she realized that everything behind the doors of these stores was all baseball. And she's like, this town is less cute than what it was. We were walking by this one store, and there was a t-shirt that said six plus four plus three equals two. So if you're a baseball fan, you know what that means, and a lot of you are like, that is not even new math, that's no math at all. And she's like, what does that mean? So I was really excited. My wife was engaged with baseball with me. I mean, I go, it means there's a ground ball to the shortstop, and he throws it to the second base. Halfway through my explanation, she asked a question about something totally different, which kind of said, I, don't, I should not have asked Dale. You see, even like there's certain scenarios in our modern-day world, like we get it because I was ingrained in baseball growing up, and for some, they're like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And one of the things that I want to do today is make it very clear that when we approach God's word and we hit certain chapters in God's word, it is so important to say what would the original audience have heard. The error that we make is we read scripture and then we jump to 2023, July 2nd, here in San Francisco, and like, what is this saying to me right now? And we lose the depth and richness of what Jesus is trying to say. So even though it can be deep, deeply confusing for the reader, it's really, really important because in this, we're shown that Jesus is coming again. Now, there's an error that people make when they can look at Jesus coming again. They either become so focused on the details and here's the plan and here's what all the things mean, like all the, the clues, they feel like there's some kind of cosmic clue hunt. And they actually lose this engagement with what Jesus, I believe, is really saying. So in case I lose my way today or I lose you halfway through this, here's my point. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he is saying, stay with me. Stay with me. No matter what's about to come, no matter what your experiences are happening right now, stay with me. It's like in the scene of a movie or a show when somebody's about to die that might get shot or they're there and the other person's imploring, stay with me, stay with me. Don't succumb to these things. That's how I want you to see the words of Jesus today. But let me back up. Let me give you some things to help you even understand this chapter if you re-engage with it because we just read a portion of it. There's kind of five threads that go throughout this chapter and talks about a little bit different things. Let me just share them with you. One, there's prophecies of the destruction of Jerusalem that was right in front of them. This is in verses 1 to 2, 14 to 20. Jesus foresaw the end of this holy city, and as we shall see in AD 70, this city was destroyed, just as Jesus said. There's a warning of persecution to come. We see this in verses 9 through 13. Jesus foresaw that his followers had to go through the most heartbreaking and soul-searing things. This was important for them to hear because they were still hoping that Jesus was coming to make things right politically and socially. And Jesus is like, you're going to suffer. Stay with me. 
in that. There's a warning, there's warnings of dangers of the last days. He then jumps to the very end in Mark 13, 3 through 6, then he jumps to it again in 2022. And Jesus is quite clear that people will come and say that they are him. Or say, well, this is what Jesus really meant. Or, like the very first temptation, did Jesus really say that? Did God really say that? It's not new words. It's repeating old lines. Then there's this other thread that there's warnings of the second coming that Jesus is not just ending his time, but he's coming back. And these words are often used with the day of the Lord and the imagery of the day of the Lord all through Scripture is bleak and dark because God's like, I'm going to allow some things to fall on themselves, but stay with me. And finally, there's a warning of the necessity to be on the watch. If we're living truly in the shadow of eternity, if we live with the constant possibility of an intervention of God, if the times and the seasons are known only to God, we better be ready. So those are the threads. As my encouragement is to reread that whole chapter with understanding that's how it jumps around. But this morning I want to back up a little bit and kind of talk about how we get into this chapter, what Jesus is specifically saying, and then how he closes because I think those are the words for us today. If you jump back a few chapters, and I know you've talked about this in the past, whenever you hit Mark chapter 9, there was this time when Jesus leads a couple of his disciples, James, Peter, and John, up to the mountain. And if you remember, there's this powerful moment where they call the transfigured, where they see Jesus in this moment, what he looks like in heaven, and his clothes are bleached, and some other people show up. Let me read this to you. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Oh, Peter. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's build you guys a house. He, because he did not know what to say, because they were frightened. Here's a hint. If you don't know what to say because you're frightened, don't say anything. Don't start saying, we'll build a house for Elijah. People will think you're insane. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice from the cloud, listen to this. This is my son whom I love. Sounds very much like his baptism, but then the voice says something different. Listen to him. Listen to him. Suddenly, they looked around and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now, I don't know how they recognize Moses and Elijah. If they're like, oh yeah, I've seen the photos. <laughs> you know, I follow him on Instagram. That's just like Moses. I don't know how they recognize him. But what God is doing, I believe, is very clear. Jesus is coming up and like, here is the lineage of Judaism. The people look to Moses. The people look to Elijah. I'm telling you. I am greater than both of them. The father says, these guys did their part. Listen to my son to the point where all of a sudden, they're gone. And who remains? Jesus. Because there's voices, there's traditions, there's things that will pull you back. So listen to him. 
There's a lot of things that are fighting for our ears. Your to-do lists fight for your ears. The voices of people around you, the trials of this tribulations of this world, the, th- the things that people want you to say and believe. And in a beautiful, poignant way, God's saying, listen to my son. It's clarity. It's clarity from the Father. So when Jesus talks, who's listening? Here's my thing. Whatever you're with, whoever you're with, potentially that's who you're listening to. It's impossible to listen to Jesus without being with him. He's not just a subtle voice. He's not just a general guide. In this moment, God's saying he is the one who will lead you through. With that in mind, as Dave mentioned at the end of his sermon last week, he mentions this scene where Jesus is in the temple with his disciples, and he says, come sit with me. Listen to me. Let me show you what it's really like. And because in the 1500s they changed the Bible, and they didn't change the Bible, but they added like chapters and verses to them, so we just stopped reading at the end of chapters when we really shouldn't stop reading. I'm going to finish with the story from last week and then pull in to see what happens next. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus. Not one stone there will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. This isn't two different scenes. This is one scene. Jesus is like, sit with me. You see this widow, this person, this woman who's alone and she's poor. And all these other people have thrown in their riches and it's made all this amazing sound. Of, but this woman gave out of something she didn't have. Pay attention to that. And coming out of that scene, they walk outside and all of a sudden they're like, Oh my God, look at these buildings! They're amazing! And she, he's like, didn't I just say? <laughs> didn't I just say? Pay attention to this. Stay with me, guys. Stay with me. Stay with me. We get distracted by so many things. Because when we listen, we know what we're looking for. And if we become overly immersed into the things that are right in front of us, you will miss it. If you become immersed in the sounds of prosperity and the impressive stones of advancement, if if the evil is winning in the world and you're paying attention to that, that's what you're going to hear. So who has your ear? Who has your attention? What are you seeing? Is your life filled with, man, this world is really bad? Or is it filled with, Jesus, I'm staying with you. Who are you in the midst of all this? This past February, uh, I went to Rwanda with my daughter, Anna. And my daughter, Anna, she's now 24. I don't know how that happened. She got married last fall. I do know how that happened because I did the wedding. 
but I don't know how she got to this age. She's been traveling to Rwanda with me since she was about 12. We have a ministry there. We've built some schools. We've done some things. It was really, really powerful. It's really easy to miss things in a culture like that unless you pay attention. I was asked to do like his outreach. So we go deep into the villages with my friends, these pastors, and as I'm doing uh, an outreach to these people and speaking to them, I realize this isn't my normal space that I speak in. These people had grown up for generations, hundreds of hundreds of years, if not longer, in deep poverty. I would say they're farmers, but they're not the ones owning the fields. They're just working in the fields. They're paid about $3 a week to take care of a plot of land. And so whether they do it by themselves or they get their children to come with them, they get paid the same. So they start to have children, and at the age of three, four, five, the kids start working the fields with them. That's the people we're talking to. They often don't go to school because they have to start paying to go to school after the third grade, so they just drop out and work in the fields with their parents. There's a simplicity. And as we're preaching about God's word, these are the eyes of the people that I see. By the world standards, the phrase, these are the people that are forgotten, probably falls short because I think these are the people that you never probably knew, didn't think about. People living in the city 10 kilometers from these people never really think about them. There was a huge upset this past year in the basketball, you know, NCAA basketball tournament. At the end, one of the players is like, we just shocked the world. There was nobody in Rwanda that was shocked. <laughs> I'm like, you're a little full of yourself. You didn't really shock anyone. So does that mean they're not important? Does that mean these people aren't valuable? When I'm asked, who is the best pastor you know? I know a lot of pastors. And since Dave's not here today, I'm not going to say him. <laughs> My answer is consistently, the best pastor I know, her name is Mary. Mary is the pastor in Rwanda. She's never written a book. She's never been asked to speak at a conference. Did you like that high-tech art I did there? Mary, and I pointed at her. I don't have the same resources I had when I was here, so I'm just kind of left to my own, like, uh, visuals. But you guys can go ahead and use that in your visual department if you want. It's very cutting edge. Those are, that's, those are the girls and guys that we built a school where they're learning to sew, and those are the bags that they sold. I might bring them up next week and sell them for $100, but it's not going to camp. It's going to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mary's never written a book. She's never been asked to speak at a conference. She'll never be known by 99.9% .9 of even her own country, much less the world. But if you watch her, if you walk with her, if you listen to her pray, you'll experience an irresistible Jesus come through her because she is with him. She delivers God's grace, not based on her own words, just the work of Jesus in her. When there's difficulty in my life, we call Mary to pray for us. 
There's something different when Jesus is with you. My deep admiration for Mary is not, wow, she is so happy even though she is poor. That's such an American thing to think. She is happy because she is with. Her life is not easy. She basically lives in an adobe cave with no running water or electricity, raising her family and her husband. Raising her husband. Yeah, she's pretty much raising her husband, too. <laughs> and he's a pastor, but that does nothing, whatever. I told him that Mary's my favorite pastor. He's like, wait, what? I'm like, she's like, he's right. <laughs> my admiration for her comes from seeing deeply significant life-changing ministry of who she is. You see, manufacturing levels or legacy to be remembered in the midst of these trials is like vapor or mist. Feels good in the moment, but it can't hang on to it. In the simple faithfulness of even the simplest person, if you will, is more powerful than thousands who don't know when to stop talking. When you're with Jesus, things change. Are you with him? Do you hear the things you fear about? Do they have a louder voice than Jesus saying, stay with me. Stay with me as she is with me. This discourse that Jesus is giving all throughout Mark 13 is filled with imagery and words that go after what you want to hear and distract you. Verses like this. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning and when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Jesus is shooting it straight because he's like, you need to know this is ahead of you, so stay with me. You need to know that I haven't abandoned my children even though these things are coming because it's just going to happen because that's what sin does in the world, but stay with me. Not because I don't know what's going on, not because I don't have the more power, but because there is a bigger plan. There's something different happening and Mark continually points himself to the cross and Jesus is going, I'm going to the cross, I know you don't even get that. But the thing that he told the disciples when they were going down from that mountain after seeing Moses and Elijah, he said, stay quiet until after I raise from the dead. And that made no sense to them until he did it. When we become fearful and stop listening to him, it's because we've stopped looking at through the lens of the resurrection and the cross and just simply at as if it never happened. Jesus finishes this discourse, and I think this is what pulls us all in, so listen. He finishes this whole thing. See if these words remind you of anything. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it's in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, 
watch. I don't know if there's anything familiar. Jesus told a parable about a landowner that left, but he leased his land to some people, so he came back to people who didn't actually in the family. In this parable, he changes it and says, he left in his servants, and yet we're called to be servants. So Jesus is like, discipleship is this, is you need to maintain the land that I've given you because I'm coming back. But he makes this point, and he's pointing them to Gethsemane, and they're not there yet. He says, pay attention and watch, whether it's at evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. Here's the new imagery Jesus is giving his disciples for that moment, and I think he's giving it to all of us for right now. Evening. This was the time of the Last Supper. This was the time that it all started to unfold. And even in the midst of the Last Supper, when Jesus knew what was about to happen to him, the disciples were like, this is the most amazing Passover ever. This is just a great time. And then he dismisses Judas to go betray him. At midnight, midnight is the general time when Peter started to deny Jesus because he was no longer with him. The pressure started to build. The cock crow. Jesus said, before the cock crows, three times you'll deny me. That's just a specific time of Peter's denial. And then the dawn, when Jesus was handed over to the Romans. So very specifically, Jesus is telling, and I know this is heavy, but it's the chapter he gave me, so here we go. Jesus is telling his disciples, here's how the world's going to unfold. Here's how the next 70 years is going to unfold. I'm coming. Things are going to get worse. I'm zeroing in. It's going to be all like the garden before I die. Now, if the disciples didn't fall asleep on Jesus, would it have changed things? No, but would it have changed things for the disciples? Yes, because Jesus is like, if you stay with me as I suffer, you will see the reason why I'm suffering. I'm suffering. Jesus goes, I must suffer. He's like, you will suffer, but I must suffer. And if you're with me, you're not going to miss the why. For Mark, this is the culmination of Jesus' sermon on revolutionary patience. Patience can be revolutionary. Patience can change. Patience is next to godliness. But it will not happen if you don't stay with him. And patience, impatience attacks our watching and our guarding and our listening. Um, in about 2010 which is like a lifetime ago for some. It was a while ago. In the news cycles, we forget about these things. There was this thing that happened down in Chile where uh, 35 um, miners were trapped underground for 69 days, if you remember this. It was horrific. Here's a, a picture of one of the Chilean miners after he came up out of the ground. His wife. 69 days. 
There must have been many doubts about living again. And I guarantee at this moment, this man is not thinking, huh, I wonder how my 401k has been doing. (laughs) At this moment, I don't think he's wondering if all of his beliefs lined up correctly or if his house is bigger than his neighbor's or like what's his next step in life. I think in this moment, he is overwhelmed with the fact that life itself is a precious gift from the Father above who has said, listen to my son. In this moment, I think he has a deep connection to what life is. You see, this is the absolute awareness that life is truly a gift from God. It's the trials, though, that got him to this point. Jesus uses things like broken branches and burnt buildings and desecration of spaces even allows maybe you to go through some fear to say, I need you to be where I need you to be to see life for what it really is, which is a gift from me. And if you tap into that, that your life is a gift, you begin to process differently, don't we? That the trials, the pride of life, the celebration of sin all falls under this context of the cross and the joyous return of Jesus. What I've seen as a pastor, very rarely do people come into my office and say, man, I'm just trying to figure out how to see life as a gift. (laughs) You know, like, oh, I just, you know, I just want... No, they do what I call um, vapor management. (laughs) Meaning, miss the things that make us feel good. They want to, like, how do I manage all the vapor? You know, how do I keep up with these things? They want to know, how do I uh, have a better job, a better marriage, a better house, a better security, better children, no more heartache? The idea is this, if I can learn to manage these things, then my life will be better. And what Jesus is saying is that it's all going to come undone. So stay with me, not with that. Jesus ministry, Jesus comes, and let's be honest, you trying to wake us all up. He wakes us all up to what we already have. He's trying to stop us from chasing those things that are just going to be louder than him and simply say, well, you just view your life as a beautiful gift, a gift from me, and do with it what I ask. He says things like the kingdom of God is within you, not outside of you. He says things like this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seeking God first is not a clue to get more vapor. It's simply seeing it for what it is and seeing Jesus for who he is. Hmm. When we do this, seek God first, you're now a watcher. You're a guarder. You are alert. Watching, guarding, and being alert doesn't mean digging into your own self-righteous thoughts and views that you're right and other people are wrong. It's digging into what God thinks. So many of us place our trust and promises in God that he never made. We're like, God, you promised me. He's like, no, I did not. 
this is what I think I should happen and I'm gonna claim this promise from God. He's like, I don't, he doesn't really do this because he's much kinder than I am, but he's like, good luck with that one. Like, never promise that one. Can you just be quiet? Because you're gonna distract some other people. So where do false messiahs and prophets come from? Those spaces. As I was rereading this text, I'm like, God, forgive me if I've been a false prophet messiah simply by saying, here's what God's promised you when he really hasn't. He's promised you amazing things. He has promised you more than you can even imagine, but we hang on to the vapor in the midst of our lives. They could, that's what he promised us, and he has not. So for us as the Jesus-following community, we are implored to embrace culture as Gethsemane, the garden of the night before he died, to stay awake in the darkness of history, to refuse to compromise and to embrace the cross. Jesus implores them to stay with me because the things that we have built need to be torn down probably so that the kingdom will emerge. The trials and tribulation to cleanse and rebuild, the pruning and burning of branches for new fruit. Because what we perceive is the strong man in the house. We perceive the governmental powers to be the strong man. We perceive the beautiful stones of advancement or wonder to be the strong man. We perceive the rumors and myths that hold our thoughts captive to be the strong man. We perceive that the celebration of sin in our culture is a strong man. But let me tell you, none of those things are the Lord of the house. It is Jesus that is the Lord of the house. It is one thing to try to fight through once bad things happen. It's another thing to say, here's what's going to happen. You're all going to want to walk away from me, but I'm going to come out the other side. An unloving, uncaring God will not tell you about the difficult times ahead of you. He will simply stay, stay with me and your life will be good. The most loving thing you can do as a parent, as a friend, as a spouse, and for sure as a God is to go, all hell's about to break loose, but stay with me. I can be trusted. So my friends, if you came here this morning and you're like, man, even in my personal life, it may have nothing to do with the ends of the world, you need to hear, God cannot just be trusted, he needs to be trusted, and you need to walk with him. For he alone is the strong man and the Lord of the house. If you've come in this morning, you're like, I'm not even sure about this, Jesus, because these other things seem stronger than him. He is so strong that he told us those things are going to happen. And he's like, you're going to be wandering, but I am going to overcome those things. And he doesn't just say, wait, because you can overcome it today, in this moment, right now. So who are you hearing? Are you hearing him Listen to him. Let's pray.